us. I want to welcome you again you know, to our series called Dangerous Prayers. Whether you're watching from Otis or online last week, we kind of kicked off this series where we uh, have this first prayer. And it's dangerous because the second part of the prayer, do we mean it? And it's, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so hopefully you got a chance to engage with God in a listening exercise. If not, you can still grab it, you know, online and again, set aside some time to really be able to hear from God as his servant, as, his, as he is our boss in our lives. Now, before we jump in, I just want to remind you of something, introduce you to something else. You already heard the announcement about DNA, but I really want to make sure I emphasize to you that if you've been coming for a while and you're processing, you know, what does it mean to make this my church home? Because there's a big, huge difference between attending a church and making it a church home, between attending and becoming part of a church family. Just like there's a difference between you coming over to my house and you being a part of the family. And we want to explain that difference to you. And so we only do this every few months. And so I want to really encourage you to be a part of that. Second, I want to introduce you to a new team, a new ministry that we're actually starting here. Uh, and that is going to be called something that we find out of Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, which says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take responsibility, that responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So here's what we've realized in 2020, probably more than any other year, at least since I've been here, we have a very generous church. And oftentimes we uh, encourage and, and want you to be involved in, in serving, like we emphasized uh, this past week, the Next Generation Ministries and jumping into kids and youth ministries or, or encouragement or hospitality. And yet there seems to be a gift that God gives when those who have been given an opportunity to give generously. And generously. So what we want to start is we want to start a generosity team. A generosity team is going to be uh, my opportunity to be able to share with you uh, opportunities to be able to give above and beyond your current giving. Specifically, if you're a regular tither, this applies to you if you have the heart to give above and beyond. It doesn't matter to me or to anybody else whether you make 10 grand a year or you make $10 million a year. Do you have a heart and a gift of generosity? Because there are things that are going on in this place that we want to kind of give you a heads up to so that you might be able to pray and decide, is that something that I want to contribute to on a generous basis in order to accomplish God's mission and vision through Valley Real Life? And so I want to encourage you to be a part of it. If this is you, we want you to sign up. We're going to have child care. We're going to spend one hour together and walk through what this looks like. And so it's February 28th, right after services on that Sunday for one hour. So we're excited to get this thing off the ground because many of you have told me, Dan, I want to know what's going on so I can contribute because God has blessed me and given to me and I already give on a consistent basis. I just want to give above and beyond. We want to give you that opportunity. So with that in mind, let's pray as we kick off on this day. Jesus, thank you so much for how you're leading and how you're guiding. And as we enter into this next part of what it means to pray a dangerous prayer for you, that you would lead us, you would guide us, and that tonight would be powerful because your spirit is leading. Whether we find uh, ourselves connecting to you, you know, on our own, or we kind of find ourselves connecting in the room or online or even at Otis. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
so let's start out with this. Can we just be honest for just a few moments? Most of us do not like to admit when we're wrong. It's not, it's not a natural reaction when someone else or you realize that although you, at one point you thought you were right by something that you said or did, that you realized or somebody else, politely or not so, pointed out that you were wrong. When we find out or we're told that we're wrong, our first response is typically not to own it. It's not to be like, my bad, let me just apologize for that. Most of us go into a rationalization and then an explaining away or then a blame game because we don't want to own the truth that we are wrong. Now, it's human nature for us to, to, to not want to admit that we're wrong. Go back to the Garden of Eden, and when God comes to them and finds them and says, why did you eat or did you eat from this forbidden fruit? The very first response, again, from Adam, it was the woman's fault, right? It's not my fault that I ate the fruit that was in my hands. It was her fault, and God, actually, it's your fault because you created her, and so that's why. Well, woman, well, why, why did you eat it? Well, God, it's not my fault, God. It's that serpent, you know, the one you created? That's your fault, God, and it's the serpent's fault. We don't want to instinctively own when it's our fault for anything that we have done. And I'm just as guilty as you are. I do this on a regular basis. I'm the guy, you know, that will try to redefine the conversation, uh, especially with my wife, uh, to try to show her and prove to her that I was right all along. Um, and uh, she's, she's been married to me for 23 years, so she, she actually knows how to work around some of my faults, you know, as it pertains to that. But we, we committed, you know, as parents that when we had kids, that one of the things that we wanted to anchor them in, because you see this from a child at a young age, is to admit that they're wrong, and then to say these words. All right, go to your brother or sister, your friend, and say these words. I'm sorry for, will you forgive me? Okay, so we try to, try to teach them that. But that's not what they want to do. That's not what we want to do on a regular basis. That's not our, our instinct. In fact, uh, here's, let me give you just a couple examples, you know, uh, from kids, you know, who didn't want to own their part for being wrong. Uh, this would be one. Dear Sam, um, I'm sorry I kicked you, even though I didn't. And I'm not really writing this for an apology, but just to get out of time out. That was his response. Or another kid said, Dear Brody, Mrs. P made me write you this note. All I want to say sorry for is not being sorry because I've tried to feel sorry, but I don't. <laughs> at, least, at least Liam's honest. Uh, or this one, Dear Olivia, sorry for telling you to sniff my fart. Again. Again, you know, so, you know, these are important things to be able to admit. That's from Ben. Uh, but this, these two are my favorite. Dear Alyssa, I'm sorry for shoving you, but you are standing where I always stand, Aiden. Well, dear Aiden, I'm sorry for elbowing you in the mouth. I did it because you shoved me. You shouldn't push, Alyssa. So they're kind of the back and forth, you know, between one another. These are little kids, right? And have we really grown out of this? So let's be honest. How many, show of hands, put it in the chat, you know, raise your hand at Otis. How many of you can just be honest that you have hurt someone and you had a hard time admitting that you were wrong? Okay. That one, actually, I was surprised. You actually raised your hand. The, the hard, the easier one is how many of you have been hurt by somebody else and they didn't admit they were wrong? Raise your hands. Oh, now you got two hands going up. You know, don't elbow the person next to you. Don't call them out online. Don't do that. You know, uh, the dangerous prayer that we want to walk into today 
And we really believe that this is a really impactful one, maybe the most impactful one of the series, is this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. On this Valentine's Day weekend, this is a very dangerous prayer to pray because of what's at stake if we don't pray it and if we don't mean it. In fact, if you get nothing else out of today, here is what I'd want you to walk away with. Without forgiveness, there is no such thing as healthy relationships. Without forgiveness, there is no such thing as a healthy relationship. So we need to back up as we kind of unpack what does that even look like? What is forgiveness? See, to forgive is to wipe the slate clean. This is the biblical definition of forgiveness. To wipe the slate clean, to pardon, to cancel a debt. And so to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us is to wipe the slate clean, to pardon, to cancel a debt that someone has given to us or that we need to cry out to God for. So let's unpack that specific prayer. Forgive us our sins. See, forgiveness starts between you and me and between us and God. In order for our relationship with God to be healthy, we have to admit that we've missed the mark, that we have to own my bad, I'm sorry, I did it, I sinned, I deserve punishment, I deserve everything that I'm going to get. See, you were never going to understand and embrace the power of this prayer until we embrace that we've missed the mark. That's what that word sin means, that we've missed the mark, that we understand the gravity of our sin and even the consequence of our sin that separates us from him. We like to compare each other's sins. And we like to say, well, I'm a good person compared to so-and-so. And we're always comparing somebody that we think has done something worse. But what if we were to step back and just say, I screwed up. God, I screwed up big time. Nobody else's fault. It's not the woman that I want to blame on a regular basis. It's not the man. It's not the kids. It's not the government. It's not my teacher. It's not my friend. It's not my boss. It's me. I'm going to own me. That's my part. But here's the good news. The good news is if we can come to that realization, come to that fact, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Anything that you've ever thought about, did, didn't do, or going to do, he's going to forgive all of it. But step one is we've got to own it. We have to sit there and say, I messed up, God. Forgive me. In fact, Jesus' sacrifice is what makes forgiveness with God possible in the first place. Ephesians 1.7 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with his, the blood of his son and forgave our sins. See, the debt that we have to pay, the unclean slate, we need a God-sized pardon in our lives. Jesus took it for us. We deserve death. We deserve judgment. We deserve, we talk about what we deserve, eternal separation from God. And God says, not so fast. 
I'm going to send my son, and I'm going to give all of humanity an opportunity to confess their sins, to just admit, God, you were right. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And God says, yes, every single time. Our part, as we read about in Acts 2.38, our part of this process is that each of us must repent of our sins, turn to God, and after we've accepted Christ, after we've repented of our sins, this is why we make such a big deal about baptism. Because he says the next step after receiving Christ, after the confession, is to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why am I getting baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? For the forgiveness of my sins. What a beautiful picture that Romans tells us about, that you die to your old self. You're buried just like Christ was buried in that tomb, raised to walk new life, clean, pure. What a great outside picture of what God does in our hearts. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that guides and leads and directs, which we'll talk about even more on a different day. Now, this is amazing. Let it sink in just for a few moments because it gets even better. Not only does God, when we just say, I'm sorry, God, will you forgive me that he not only lets our sins to be forgiven, but he remembers our sins no more. He does something that you and I are incapable of doing. This is what separates God from us. For it says in Hebrews 8, 12, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. That's powerful. Secondly, for Psalms 103:12, God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. If you take east and west on a plain line, they never hit each other. It never ends. Forgive us our sins, which is the first part of this prayer. And to be honest, it can be the easiest part. The hardest part, the dangerous part, the riskiest and the vulnerable part is the second part of the prayer. But we want to make sure you understand, this is where all of us are and all of us have been. A continual recognition of our absolute dependence and need of what Jesus Christ has done. But it leads us to the second, and like I said, more challenging part. As we forgive those who sin against us. That's hard. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 21 to 35. I'm going to give a little bit of a synopsis you know, of this passage, but it's worth really diving into this week. And feel free to be able to do that online and in Otis as well. Because this is how Jesus describes everything that I'm about to say and what I've already said. In verse 21 of Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, it says these words, then Peter came to Jesus and he asked him this question, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, what you need to understand is Peter thinks he's pretty special. The reason he thinks he's special is because Jewish tradition would say, if someone sins against you once, forgive them. If they sin against you twice, forgive them. If they sin against you three times, forgive them. But if they sin against you a fourth time, do not forgive them. Four times. Peter's walking up to Jesus. Hey, <laughs> Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? Because you know you know, three times. I said, seven times? You know he's thinking about someone. You know he's thinking about someone specific. Seven times? 
And you think he's going to get the pat on the back from Jesus, like, whoa, you more than doubled what's expected of you based on Jewish tradition. That's not what Jesus says. Like always, Jesus likes to raise the bar. No, not seven times, but 77 times seven, 70 times seven, which is 490 times. Can you imagine keeping score on that one? I think my wife told me I was up to 425. So just so you know, it's been 23 years. I only got a few more before she's like, I'm done. It's fascinating, you know, because the Hebrew, you know, is an alphanumeric system, which means that every, every single word in the Hebrew language has numerical value. And so oftentimes you'll see a number like seven. Seven is the number of perfection as you see in the Bible. But when you see in this case that number 490 in the numerical value of the Hebrew word is this word called tamim, which literally means complete, perfect, or finished, which is such a beautiful understanding of what Jesus is trying to say based on what I've done on the cross. There's no amount of opportunities that you and I are going to have to forgive other people. So Jesus, in order to make his point come across, he starts in verse 23. He actually says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of the debtors was brought in who owed him millions. Some people would even say billions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So what did his master say? Well, you're going to have to work this off I'm going to actually have to sell everything you own. I'm going to have to sell your wife, your kids. I'm going to have to sell everything in order for this thing to be paid off. But the man fell at the king's feet and begged him for more time. He begged him, please be patient with me. I promise Financial Peace University is going to get me through this. That's not what he said. That's Dan's paraphrasing there. And the king had compassion on him. And his compassion went so far to say, yeah, I'm going to give you more time. That's not what he said. He says, your debts are forgiven, paid in full. Imagine how that would feel. The overwhelming, there's no amount of lifetimes that could have paid off this debt. And he walks out of there clean, new slate, all taken care of. What kind of party would you be having? His first response When the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant, somebody else, who owed him a couple thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant threw himself down and begged for a little bit more time. Sound familiar? Be patient with me and I will pay it. But this guy said no. And he had the guy thrown into prison until the debt could be paid in full. Word gets back to the king. The other servants see what's going on. They're just a little ticked off because they've seen the whole thing play out. And so the king calls the man who he had forgiven, and he says these words, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? So the king was so angry that he sent this guy to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then Jesus finishes with this powerful statement. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. 
we forgive others because God has forgiven us. In light of the overwhelming debt that we have to God, nothing of what someone else has done to us will compare with what God has sacrificed for us in forgiving our sins for this life and in eternity. Ephesians 4.32 said, Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, understand this. Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation or a lack of consequence. A lot of people think, well, if I forgive, that means I have to get right back into that relationship. Not necessarily. Sometimes yes. Other times, no, you need to keep boundaries up. You need to make sure there's distance between you and that other person because that is an evil person who is in and around your life. It doesn't mean entering back into that reconciled relationship. That's not what it means. It also doesn't mean that there's a lack of consequence. Some people think, well, well, if God has forgiven me, then why do I still have to suffer? No, there is still a consequence for the deeds in which we do, especially on this side of eternity. Don't believe me, go in the Old Testament and read about David and Bathsheba. God forgave David, but there was severe consequence that took place because of his sin. So there's still consequence that we go through on this side of eternity. Now, part of the act of receiving forgiveness from God is a hard part for some of you to forgive yourselves. Some of you guys will accept forgiveness for God, and some of you may even forgive other people, but you have a hard time forgiving yourselves to let the shame go. I don't know if you've ever been around a child who beats themselves up over and over and over, although the coach or the teacher or the parent says, no, no, you're good, I forgive you, let's move on, but they won't let it go. We're the same at times. It's called shame, right? Understand this. For those of you having a hard time forgiving yourself, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Embrace this for yourself. Realize that this is true. If God doesn't hold it against you, you don't have any right or authority to hold it against yourself. Because if you hold it against yourself over and over and over, do you know what you're saying? I don't believe that God has actually truly forgiven me. So you have a chance to be set free even on this day. See, we forgive even those who don't ask for forgiveness. Those are the real hard ones, right? I mean, as long as the person who cuts us off or who said awful things to us, as long as they come and they grovel at our feet to a certain extent, we're like, okay, we'll forgive you. What about the person who never comes and you're waiting, you're longing, you're hoping that something bad happens to them. No, you're hoping that they actually come back to you. But God's called us to forgive even when they don't ask for forgiveness. In fact, Jesus from the cross, you might remember, said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They never asked for forgiveness. Remember that forgiveness was extended to us even before we received Christ. It's out there waiting. See, what happens is, is that we're expecting other people to bring their, what they have done to us. And when they don't do it to us, we get angrier and angrier and angrier. We get more and more bitter, and it begins to affect our current relationships that we find ourselves in. And sometimes we don't know why. Why am I so short? Why am I so angry? Why do I fly off the handle? Well, it's because, and you fill in the blank, something that took place when you were a kid, something that took place to a former spouse, 
coworker, a neighbor, a former friend. But do you understand that a lack of forgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die? You're the one that's suffering. You're the one that's going through the hardness in your life. You're the one that's still being imprisoned by the chains of the past. But forgiveness sets you free. It's actually allowing you to begin to move forward, even if they're not asking. And some of you have been carrying a weight for so long. And our prayer is on this day, whether you're watching online at Otis or in the room, that you would finally lay that down. Uh, when my wife, we were dating, you know, in college at the time, her dad ran out on her when uh, she was three, when she was nine years old, and left the family for good. And started a whole other family, and you know, just an awful situation. And um, Carolina would be the first one to tell you how much it affected her, and how it affected relationships, and how angry and bittered and hurt, you know, that she was feeling. In college, uh, as we started to get to know one another, God impressed upon her heart to forgive her dad even though her dad had not asked for forgiveness. And she was given this opportunity to write a letter. And so she wrote this letter, and she wrote the letter to her dad saying, even though you have not asked for forgiveness, even though you need to understand how much this has hurt, I want you to know that I forgive you. And she meant it, and she sealed the letter, and she sent it off. Not but two days later, as we were walking around campus, she got the call that her dad had had a heart attack and that he had died. And so she was just obviously distraught, like I didn't have a chance to say goodbye, and we've been distant, this is no good. A week after he died, she got a letter back in the mail from him. And it said, thank you for that, I don't deserve your forgiveness, I don't you know, believe that's for me, but I just want you to know that I just want to thank you for actually offering me what I definitely don't deserve. The most powerful moment of my wife's life, not when her dad responded, it was actually when she wrote the letter and she put it in the mail. Be set free on this day. Forgive others even when they do not ask for forgiveness. See, forgiveness is a choice. It's not an emotion. If you wait till you feel like forgiving someone, you will be waiting for the rest of your life. You have to make a conscious decision to choose to act in love, mercy, and grace, giving up your right to hurt others because they hurt you. Choose not to hold an offense and give them. Choose not to dwell and choose not to keep a record of wrongs. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love keeps no record of being wrong. You wanna know how to kill a marriage, a friendship, or a relationship? Keep score. And see how many times someone hurts, offends, or sins against you, and you will find yourself every Valentine's Day from here on out with no deep and healthy relationship. Keeps no record of wrongs. There is no one greater in my life outside of Jesus Christ who knows what it means to forgive than my wife. I'm not a pleasant person sometimes. And she continually, after 23 years, I look at, them, look at her and I was like, why are you still married to me? She has an ability that I'm still growing in when it comes to forgiveness. See, if we don't forgive others, let this be a warning and a reminder. God says he will not forgive us. That's how important this is, prayer together 
and that's how challenging it is. Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So as we wrap up our time, who is someone that you need to forgive or ask forgiveness from by praying this dangerous prayer, Father, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sinned against me. One of the ways that we're going to encourage you to kind of sit in this moment all week is as you leave, there's going to be another card that's going to be handed. This is going to be a little bit smaller. And it's just an opportunity to pray some scriptures on forgiveness back to God, to allow his spirit to lead and guide and to direct your steps as you pray one of these prayers every single day this week. But you know, the greatest picture that we have of what it means to be forgiven, to forgive others, is something called communion. So I want you to do is go ahead and grab your communion elements. And if you're watching online, go ahead and grab your elements as well. Otis, go ahead and grab your elements where they may be as well. When Jesus was about to be crucified, he gathered his disciples in a room. And when you're near the end of your days, you recognize that there's some important things you don't want somebody to forget. And he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. But I don't want you to miss this part. In Matthew 26, verse 27, it says, and he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and he said, each of you drink from it. For this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people, it is poured out as a sacrifice. Why? To forgive the sins of many. Every week, we get reminded that God is readily willing and able to forgive sins. And every week, we do this together, whether virtually or in different locations, we do it together, recognizing that the connection we have with one another is just as important as the connection that we have with God at the center. And so we're going to go in this time. We're going to give you a few extra moments online and on site. We're going to put some things that we're going to challenge you to pray through. And we want you to spend a few extra moments and allow God and his spirit to lead you during this time. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity Father, this is a hard one. Father, for, forgive me, forgive us as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And as we take and remember this time, whether on site or online, may you remind us of the amount that you paid so that we would be forgiven. And may we take a portion of that and have the courage and your spirit's leading to do something that is supernatural, which is to forgive other people. Help us to live in this moment and to remember that this is what it means to be connected to you. Forgive us as we also forgive those who sinned against us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.